episode 65 of the Stomp the Bus Show. I am your host, Mark Harris. Uh, coming after, coming at you after uh, what? It's a week and a half after the Territorial Cup. We kind of took a week off there uh, after Thanksgiving. Colton, how you doing, my man? Um, hanging in there, Mark. You know, can't uh, can't complain. Um, just. Happy to be back on the show with you. Uh, happy to break this down a little bit. It's been a while. Yeah, no kidding. A um, lot of lot of uh, upheaval in ASU football land. Where do you want to start? We have recruiting weekend this past weekend. Guys entering the transfer portal, coaching changes, uh, territorial cup. Um. Well, yeah. I mean, not a lot to break down from the territorial cup. You know, we kind of yeah. on our last show talked about how. At this point, the games were just kind of like secondary to everything else going on, right? Like we were gonna have a couple games, regardless of the game. Like I think we both knew how that would turn out. I think I predict uh, predicted ASU to win that game, and I felt kind of good about it uh, early on. And then it just <laughs> snowballed yeah. very quickly. So I knew that was a hail mary going in. I didn't pick it because I was confident. Um, just just felt like a, a trendy little upset pick for me, and it completely backfired. So uh, not a lot to break down from that, I don't think. It's basically what we expected it to be. Um, but a flurry of um, names entering this transfer portal, uh, new coach, uh, coaching staff hires, I think those two things kind of steal the headlines a little bit. Absolutely. Especially, well, especially now. I mean, the, the game was, oh, my dates are all messed up. What day was that? Yeah, but I, think it, I think it kind of stole the headlines, like, pretty quickly. I, I know that Dillingham's um, kind of exit interview, so to speak, after that game um, garnered a lot of attention just based on, you know, him talking about this being, like, sort of a foundational season and, you know, what things are going to look like moving forward and, and building upon what happened this year, all of that sort of stuff. Um, but then from there, it was just like fast and furious guys leaving, um, announcing quickly. I know there's the thing with Borgay committing a lot of money to yeah. the NIL collective. It's just been one thing after the other with transfers, coaching hires, NIL stuff. So it, it's like the nail, it felt like the next day we were already into personnel stuff so right. i think that's pretty interesting no that's true and i'll share some thoughts on the territorial cup like it was really it, that you know after uh, asu scored that touchdown in the first quarter it was like it just felt good to be up in that game because you knew in the back of your head like it's this isn't gonna last you know and that's what happened in the game um just ASU just could get no pressure on Fafita. And, like, it, it's not like he was, like, making plays in the backfield or anything. He just could just operate and work through his reads, and, you know, that was it. And <laughs> the offense wasn't great. I, I like that Rashada was out there, though. Uh, you know, 10 of 82 – 10 of 22 for 82 yards is not a great stat line, but uh, it's just another experience for him. And – you know, the, the the good thing about, like, it's it's never good to lose to Arizona, but this this is, like, the best Arizona team of the 21st century, you know, <laughs> versus, like, 
not the maybe not the worst ASU team of the 21st century, but maybe, you know. So like yeah. like when you put it that way, it's like, okay, like it's just it's just not gonna happen. And so um, you know, as ASU fans, we should be thankful that Arizona lost to Mississippi State and USC in games that they maybe should have won because they could have been in the Pac-12 championship game. They could have been in New Year's Six Bowl. So that's that's really the only silver lining is that U of A kind of messed up on some other opportunities this year that could have kept them from a better uh, season. So that's where it is right now. And it, the ASU will probably never have a team as bad as it did this year under Dillingham just due to the injuries and, tra- and all that. So uh, bad Territorial Cup result. But yeah, like you said, what's more interesting is the kind of the transactions, for lack of a better word, the comings and goings on the team. And um, let's start with the transfers first. Um, The big three that are leaving are BJ Green, who announced uh, today, that being Monday, December 12th, when we're recording, or December 4th, when we're recording. Uh, And then Jalen Conyers and Ryan Clark announced that earlier shortly after the game um honestly of those three the one that like is the biggest like uh like the one that hurts the most as a fan just in terms of like their impact on the field is going to be bj green because like he was legitimately making plays this year he had i think he had uh, tied for the team lead with six sacks and six sacks in 12 college football games like I think in the NFL, we're like, oh, 10 sacks, like that's a good season for a defensive lineman or whatever. But 16 games, 17 games, college football, it's like you get 12 games if you're on a you know bad team. And so uh, that it's just going to be that's just going to be tough to replace. He's a unique player. Um, and Conyers and Clark. So I don't know the eligibility with Green, but I know with Conyers and Clark, those two are essentially grad students. And so like. I'm not going to sit here and be like, oh, they suck. Like, no, of course. Like, I would love to have them back as an ASU fan. I would love to. But if you're a grad student, to me, it's just it doesn't, like, work me up in the same way that, like, when Eric Gentry transferred out or when, you know, that whole thing happened. So what are your kind of thoughts on the the three big guys that are leaving as transfers? I mean, I agree with you. The front seven was like the the bright spot of this team all season, and particularly the defense. You know, obviously we saw well, the, some let the first ten games of the season at least. But, well, yeah, I was, yeah, outside of the the games and those performances, right? When we're thinking about the letdown games against U of A and uh, Utah, and then Oregon, right? Okay. The three that they just got absolutely throttled in. Um, it's hard to look at those games and be like, I, we talk about it all the time on this show. If you're not playing complimentary football, it's going to be tough for one side of the ball to show up consistently. And, you know, maybe we saw a bit of that in the U of A or the territorial cup, right. And um, U of A's offense just being, yeah, the territorial cup, that was just bad defense. Like there's no complimentary football element to it, but in, in general, I get what you're saying, especially yeah. the, um, the brightest spot for, the brightest section of the brightest spot of this team, right? The defense was arguably the highlight of this team. The front seven was the highlight of the highlight, so to speak, um, or the strongest point of that defense. So 
losing a piece of that is tough, definitely. Um, but I mean, it could be it could be a sign that maybe Brian Ward knows how to sort of replenish that a little bit and, and find the right guys to play that scheme. Um, maybe they go out and they bring somebody else in who could step up and contribute. Who knows? Again, very um, different times in terms of personnel movement in college football. But that's kind of – that leads me into the other two guys, Conyers and, and Clark, who um, – I mean, sticking around after the Herm firing and, and even staying right. here for year one of Dillingham I think was massive. Um, if they want to go play somewhere else with their remaining eligibility, like I have no problem with that more power to them. They've earned it. And I think they've, they've done a lot to help build a foundation here when you're running out of that eligibility and you only have so much time left in college football, you can't blame somebody for not necessarily wanting to stick around for some sort of rebuild, you know? Right. Well, so, I yeah, think there's a, a thing that could be happening is like ASU is definitely doing better in NIL now. Uh, you know, there's a report out there that Dillingham like raised, it was like over a million dollars from some prominent boosters recently, just like with a presentation at one of their houses. And so like stuff's getting rolling, but you also like, maybe they're like trying to allocate, like spread the money uh, more wide on the roster. And maybe that means like, Jalen Conyers could get 100K somewhere else and maybe he could get 75K from ASU. You know, I'm, these aren't, I'm, you know, these are just numbers I'm making up, but it's like, do you pay that extra 25K that like is the reason you don't get a impact, like a linebacker from the portal or something like that, you know? So it's like, it, it's like ASU, ASU and all the schools of the, you know, like, the, the mid-level power five teams, right? Like the NC States and, you know, I don't know how it would be in the SEC and Big Ten, but like all these schools in that middle tier, you know, Virginia Tech and Colorado, Arizona, you know, all these teams, you have to operate like a mid to small market baseball team, you know? You can't just, you, you have to be, you have to be smart with how you spend all your money, at least at this point, you know, maybe someone will come in and, you know, help it out a lot. But uh, so that's could be part of the reason they're leaving. And like you mentioned, I mean, dude, they've been through so much shit with this program. They both, because especially, so Ryan Clark had been at, at ASU since 2019. So he, he was like basically there through the whole, like the whole Herm era. Um, and the, the last year of the Herm era and the first year of the Dillingham era, like that's a lot. Yeah. And yeah, Jalen Clark, hundred yeah. percent. Jalen Conyers came in the 2021 season, which was supposed to be the best year of the Herm Edwards era, which I guess it technically was. Um, then it was here last year when it all really fell apart. And then this year when you're building back up with Dillingham. So it's like the, those two guys had eight combined years of experience at ASU and were both grad transfers. Like it sucks. Like, again, like I'm not going to pretend to be like, Oh, we don't want them. Like, blah, blah. no, like, but uh, it's just hard for me to get worked up about it. So, uh, but unlike the BJ Green, where it's like, dang, like having him coming back would have been really nice. You know, it just would have been. So, but again, it's a lot. It's a lot of the same like money allocation per player type of thing, too. Right, and I think this transfer era, transfer portal era stuff, kind of cuts both ways, right? Like, yeah, you're losing these guys, but 
who can you bring in? And maybe you don't replicate a Jalen Conyers, right? He's an extremely talented player or what Jordan Clark gave you on the back end or what BJ Green gave you at the front seven. But you can go out and maybe attempt to fill some of those gaps a little bit with with players who are transferring out of their respective programs, right? So it's not like all your all that's going to happen is is you're going to see losses here, right? It's possible that some of these gaps could be filled, and and obviously Clark and Conyers, those are they've been staples of this program for a long time. So maybe that hurts a little more like sentimentally than it does. And obviously great players, but there's a degree totally. of sentiment that comes with it too. So. Um, who knows? Who knows who they bring in? But it's just the fact that it's a possibility to go out and replace some of that production is like, OK, it's not as um, it's probably not as big of a hit as it would have been in an era where that wasn't necessarily possible. Yeah, totally, totally. So we'll see how it goes. Um, Eastside Glass entering the transfer, <laughs> transfer portal. Um, you know, he kind of. I don't know, you know kind of left the team during the season right before the Utah game. So that was, you could see that coming. Drew Pine entered the portal. Some of the backup guys like James and Jonkum entered the portal. Uh, so that's part of it. And, you know, honestly, like the portal's great for guys who aren't playing. And, you know, like that's, that's like ideally what the purpose of the portal is for. It's like, hey, I'm not playing here. I want to go somewhere else so I can play. Uh, right. It's a little different when you add in the – tampering and all that but i'm sure asu is tampering with other people too so yeah 100 percent. and you yeah. know just they should be too, you know it, it's and obviously there's still time I, I don't know how long this first window is open for players to enter do you know uh i don't know it's i think it's like the whole month or something um okay. maybe it's like two oh. weeks i don't know obviously a lot of time left but you're going through it and you know Outside of Conyers, you haven't seen any huge offensive names enter the portal, right? Like, yes. Obviously, you hold your breath with guys that were huge, again, outside of Conyers because he was one of those guys, and it hurts to lose him. But his situation kind of adds context to that. You're not losing somebody like Elijah Badger, knock on wood, or um, – you haven't seen yeah, I mean, we saw Drew Pine enter, but that's a graduate thing. That's yeah. completely different. But you haven't really seen Jaden Rashada or anything like that, right? So, you know, maybe that doesn't sound like the likeliest of scenarios, but I think in this era, you just hold your breath on everybody until the window is closed. Yeah. <laughs> and you know who you have. So, I mean, Rashada is, is hopefully somebody that they can build around offensively. And, I mean, there's going to be – we'll get into it in a little bit, but uh, new pieces – comprising that that offense and that offensive staff who who will get to work with hopefully work with Rashada um so we'll kind of see what happens there and then plus you get the guys back who couldn't play like like Jake yep. Smith and um there's all the injured else. offensive linemen right right <laughs> there's there's a lot of like internal reinforcement coming right. out too right. next season. guys who are already in the building so that's always good um but yeah hopefully they're able to to weather the transfer storm, so to speak, um, and and kind of kind of stay relatively intact. Yeah, 
And there is a through line with the three players who we mentioned, BJ Green, Jalen Conyers, and Ryan Clark, is that they all they've all been through AS been at ASU through this three years of just and I'm I'm including the 2021 season in that. Like the three years of just weirdness and coaching changes and bull bands and they all could have left, you know, after uh what was it after the 21 season, the the transfer window in 2022 following spring practice when that would that was the exodus when it began, when Gentry leaves, Ricky Pearsall leaves, all the other wide receivers leave. Jane, well, Jane Daniels left before then, and, you know, and so uh, it's hard. Like, that's another aspect of this. It's like these guys could have left at many different points. And so, like, the fact that they're all leaving, like, maybe with one year left is like shows that they actually kind of are dedicated to the program. They're just like, hey, like, I want to. I just want to see something else before my college career ends, whatever. Like, I don't know. Like, maybe they do trust Dillingham, but they're like, I just don't know. Like, if, you know, who knows? I want to play for a national championship, like, all this stuff. So it's, and whatever. Like, so that's fine. And another thing I would say in terms of transfers is the University of Arizona lost a good chunk of transfers this past offseason. And they just, they just, they're, what, the number 14 or 15 team, I think 14, in the playoff rankings, they they went nine and three and have a chance of going have a you know a ten win season and like that's good <laughs> that's good for ASU that would be a good season and so like it is possible that like you can lose some guys and still be good the next year um, and in terms of Badger you mentioned I saw just on Twitter like him promoting some uh, like Burrito Express thing and I saw Scadaboo. Uh, Marcus Arroyo posted a picture of Sun Devil Stadium, which obviously indicates that he's the new OC. Scatter was like, welcome to meet you, coach, or whatever. So, like, those are just contextual clues. Like, those two are probably going to return. So, that's good. Yeah. No, that's always good. Any any continuity you can, you can keep in this era of just, like, constant turnover, um, I think is, is extremely – it only helps you like it doesn't necessarily hurt so anybody who's going to stick around especially contributors from last year like Scadabo, brad uh badger those sorts of guys um i think that's huge so yeah yeah and you kind of got into uh the new oc a little bit um marcus arroyo right um so yeah you can you can take that i know you brought it up yeah, for sure. So Marcus Arroyo, uh, he first kind of um, came to fame. He was the offensive coordinator for the Justin Herbert teams under Mario Cristobal. Um, and honestly, like, I didn't think that he was a good offensive coordinator back then because you saw, like, how Herbert just – there was a lot of weird – like, a lot of, like, unrealized potential in his college career. Uh and we're kind of seeing that in, in the NFL, although they did win a Rose Bowl. So it's not like it was a complete disaster. Uh, but it is interesting that, like, after, you know, he left because he became the head coach of UNLV, not a successful coach, but it's it was like one year he went, like, he started out two and 10, then went five and seven, and then eventually it wasn't enough. But uh, it's not like, like, Mario Cristobal, like, is a tough coach to work for if you want to do creative things offensively like that 
he's not, you know, Mike McDaniel <laughs> yeah. or like Andy Reid. Like this dude is maybe one of like the most successful Neanderthal head coach there is right now. Like, and so, you know, Miami quarterback Tyler Van Dyke recently went in the portal, you know, like, so I think that does add context. And again, just, be, I'm not an expert in any of this stuff, like, but just based on like some of the reaction I saw was people were a lot more, a lot more like, oh, this is a decent hire than like when they brought in Baldwin, you know, and that we saw how that worked out because he's no longer on staff. Yeah, definitely. So, um, and I mean, again, he worked with with Justin Herbert at the very least. That's a, a name on his resume. So yeah, if we're looking for developing a quarterback, at least he's somebody who's at the very least worked with a talented guy. And we obviously know Dillingham's track record. So uh, anybody who has that sort of experience and, and maybe um, can be developed, I guess, by Dillingham. It's weird to say developed because Dillingham's only like 33 years old, but uh, somebody who can come in and, and learn from Dillingham and learn from what he does, maybe that unlocks some things. So, uh, and obviously Dillingham is an offensive guy, so he's going to have some say in what's going on. Um, it's not going to be a Royal on an Island, so to speak, right. but um, those two guys putting their, you know, talking about it and putting their heads together, I think can only bode well for uh, hopefully Jaden Rashada or whoever else is under center next year. Well, and I think it's impressive that he was a head coach at one point, you know? Right, right. Like, and his head coaching record, I think, is a – so he has a 7-23 overall record at UNLV, which that is not – like, obviously, that's terrible. It's a little – when you look into it, it's a little misleading – because his first year was in 2020, and UNLV went 0 and 6. But it's like, okay, like it's still the 2020 season. Like it is, you look back at it in college football, especially, and it really looks like just like a funhouse mirror type season. Like a lot of weird stuff went on that year. I mean, you look at the quarterbacks drafted in the 21 draft, and the only one that's good is Lawrence, and he was the, you know. He was he's always been good, you know, throughout his entire life as a quarterback. So 0 and 6 year one, then they improved, 2 and 10, year two. 2022, they go five and seven. And but then they fired him. So it worked out, I guess, because UNLV is has done better since then. But those are, I mean, the players that are on this UNLV team that played for the Mountain West Championship, a lot of them were recruited by Arroyo, right? Not all of them, but a lot of them were. And so when you factor that in, he's been at Oregon, you know, so like you've had to recruit big time there. And I mean, having him as a recruiter could maybe that's the biggest reason he's even here is maybe Dillingham will still call plays and he'll be a recruiter focused offensive coordinator. I don't know, but it does it does feel like he he has a lot of uh, strengths. You know, like maybe he's not like the best play caller of all time, but when you add in the recruiting element and I mean, I'm sorry, like having head coaching experience is good to have on the staff. Like Dillingham's only had one season of being a head coach. So, you know, we'll see how it goes, but it, it's, it, it looks like a, a smart hire at this point. Right. You can't, you can't go wrong with more experience. I completely agree. Um, so yeah, we'll see how it plays out, but at least they have an OC and um, they're they're building out that staff a little bit. Yeah, totally. 
So, yeah, I'm reading a article, ArizonaSports.com. It says recruiting service, service, recruiting service 24-7 credits Arroyo with recruiting former Hamilton High School star Tyler Shuck, who was a top 10 quarterback in the class of 2018. Um, it is, it's expected that Arroyo would be the play caller for the offense going forward, Sun Devil Source reported on Friday. Uh, yeah, so... It seems, you know, seems seems like a decent hire. Um, I, I mean, him and Dillingham obviously would have a lot of similarities in terms of the scheme. But man, I mean, man, if it pays off in recruiting, like that's the big thing, <laughs> you know. Like, it, uh, and we'll get into that in a bit. But uh, it's that's that's a good thing, obviously, you know. So. And Vince Amy, oh, wait, no, I'm sorry. This is about the next coach. So uh, any final thoughts on Royal before we move on to the defensive line coach they're bringing in? Uh, not necessarily. Um, again, just excited to see what happens um, in terms of what he'll be able to do with whoever is under center for ASU next year, depending on who stays and who goes. Absolutely. All right. Uh, defensive line coach, his name is Dyron uh, I'm probably I'm gonna say Darren. I'm just gonna pronounce it Darren. It's spelled D-I-R-O-N. Probably Darren, right? Uh, uh yeah. Uh, let's let's call him let's call him. Darren Reynolds uh coached was Michigan State's defensive line coach last year, following eight seasons of that at Stanford. Will take over ASU's defensive line coaching job. And then this is from Chris Cartman from Sun Double Source. Vince Amy, who was the defensive line coach last year, will remain with the Sun Devils in an analyst role uh, as part of which, like, he wants to spend more time with his family. Um, so, you know, I don't really know much about Darren Reynolds, but if you're at a place like Michigan State, that's impressive. Um, and, you know, being at Stanford that long, it, you know, like you mentioned before the show, like they produce so many good defensive lines, uh, you know, not recently, recently, because they've been bad, but like within, you know, he was there for eight years. So obviously at some of those times he was doing a good job with it. So, um you know, from a recruiting thing, I hope that this guy helps out too. Uh, you know, I've seen. Well, yeah, I mean, you, just, you just talked about the loss of of uh, BJ Green, right? Yeah. Uh, and and what that's gonna the impact that might have on the front seven. If you're, you know, obviously Michigan State is. Well, things are kind of looking up with the Jonathan Smith hire, but before the Jonathan Smith hire, they were in a complete state of disarray. He probably there was an issue last year. Right, right. Like so, last year at this time is what Michigan State is right now. Right. So, and obviously had the time at Stanford um, and some of the guys that have come out of Stanford on the, along the defensive line have been um, at least productive college players, right? Um, so, I mean, adding that guy to Brian Ward's staff, a, a staff that already uh, produced a pretty solid – Defensive line and, and front seven last year, I think that level of experience and obviously a lot of NFL experience too with with Reynolds. So um, 
adding adding him to the mix, I think will will only make things a little better. And it's it's good to bring a guy like Ward back too. We talked about this a, a yeah. few weeks ago, but it, it can't be overstated how important that extension was um, in in a sport with so many moving parts. So adding a guy that specializes along the defensive line to a a system that has already been pretty productive in terms of what we saw last year, I think is, is only going to help them. Absolutely. Especially with recruiting, which is what you mentioned. Yeah, absolutely. And um, it looks like there are a few Michigan state defensive linemen in the portal too. So there you, you go. Got, so you you just, got one or one or two of those guys. You had a successful Michigan state defensive lineman transfer uh, this past year into Sean Mallory. So We'll see how that goes. Uh, I I hope that the, like the Vince Amy thing isn't like that he was pushed out or something, but the fact that he's remaining on staff as an analyst makes me think that it was uh, copacetic, I guess. But um, we'll see how that goes. But I mean, it's you know it's good to see new faces coming in and just Dillingham getting all the help he can get from people who've been at big programs and you know been in the been in the been in the mix. So, uh, speaking yeah. of recruiting, ASU had a recruiting weekend um, this past weekend, and had a few uh, high-profile high school athletes in town. Um, none more prominent than four-star running back Jason Brown out of Seattle, who is apparently the top uncommitted running back in the 2024 class, according to 24-7 Sports. There's a lot of buzz about him going to ASU. Uh, I'm going to pull up some tweets on the screen real quick. But, I mean, getting a guy like this out of out of Seattle – where he is like UW is recruiting him, a team that is playing for the national championship, basically. And it's looking like he's gonna go to ASU. I mean, I that like that is such a it's just if they could land him, that would be so big, honestly. Yeah, that would be a big step in the right direction for uh getting the recruiting back on track. I know. We talked about uh, coming into this season and even a little bit last season, too, how a, a program in the midst of the investigation and everything else, which hopefully is is coming, that, that resolution is coming soon where we can finally turn the page on that. Yeah. Um, but establishing that recruiting um, – your, your, your footing when it comes to recruiting again, just in terms of landing prominent high school athletes, I think is extremely important. So uh, bringing in a guy like that out of UW's backyard, you know, um, yeah. could be could be pretty big. So we'll see what happens with that. Obviously, the, the reports are promising. The crystal ball percentages and everything like that look um, look promising Good. so yeah we'll we'll see we'll see what happens with that but hopefully uh he he ends up uh choosing asu and we're, we're talking about him absolutely one well, i have this tweet pulled up here from champ westbrooks who's a offensive line commit in asu's 2024 class 
After meeting him this weekend, I can see myself opening holes for this guy. Forks up. So, like, it seems kind of like an open secret when you have recruits tweeting, like, hey, like, it looks like he'll come here. I got another one from... Uh, where's... I retweeted this earlier. Uh, I guess I didn't. Well, uh, Jaden Fortier, who is another four-star in ASU's class. He's the number one player out of the state of Oregon. Four-star tight end. He's like won all the player of the year awards there. He basically tweeted like, ASU, we're going to have some good recruiting news coming up type of thing. So it's very indicative of like this guy, Jason Brown, who like, honestly, when, when it was rumored that, oh, ASU might be in the mix, I was just like, wait, what? Like, okay, like I'm glad we're bringing him in type of thing. Like, I'm glad we're going after this kid, but like, we're not actually going to get him. Right. Like, and then, then you, you see all these reports like, yeah, it's looking like he's trending toward ASU. And it's like, man. And then you bring in, I mean, <laughs> we're rating the Northwest. For their, <laughs> their, <laughs> the top town in the Northwest. So, um, I mean that, I, I guess like a part of that is just like Dillingham, being just on these guys for years, you know? Right. I, I mean, say I'm, maybe it's got to be his reputation or something. Yeah. Maybe, maybe guys from that region. Absolutely. And, like, it's um, – confirmed so much. It's just impressive. Like, it's – you know, it and, – and honestly, if you're, if you're attracting a guy like Jason Brown – that makes me think the NIL stuff is at least sufficient, right? Because he, oh, he's got, yeah, he's gotten offers from UW, from Oregon, you know, Michigan State was once a big offer of his. Like, if you're swimming in those waters for a commit, that means you are have a, a good enough NIL offer for him. And that that's even more encouraging than getting Jason Brown at all, you know? Like, it, it's 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 never about just one recruit, right? Like college football, you need a whole lot of players, obviously. And so, but if you're attracting high level recruits at this point, that means your NIL collective is good enough, and that's a good place to be if you're ASU. Especially like, again, you're 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 going to be playing in the Big Twelve next year, and so like, obviously there are good Big Twelve teams, but I mean. We saw the Big 12 championship and Oklahoma State, they didn't look like they should be even on the same field as Texas. And that was the second best team in the league. And 100%. so, and we saw, like, ASU played Oklahoma State this year and argue, I'm not going to say, like, should have won because that's not true, but they... At least were didn't competitive. Look, yeah, they didn't look that, like, it, it wasn't some huge, like, oh my gosh, how did... Like, it was just, like, ASU, like, hung in there with them. Like, it wasn't, like, some mismatch is the long-winded way of what I should have said quicker. But, and so, like, when you add, when you factor all that in, it's like, oh, now we're getting these blue-chip recruits. You know, it's encouraging. It's encouraging. And uh, I'll wrap this recruiting thing up. I know they had some other kids in town as well. Uh, but the most important of the people we haven't mentioned beyond Brown and uh, Fortier, I'm – I'm sure that's not how his last name's pronounced, but I don't care. Uh, the number one player in Hawaii, he's not, yeah, <laughs> number one player in Hawaii, his name's Rustin Young, um, four-star offensive lineman, currently committed to Oregon State. Well, 
Oregon State is like going to be going to the Mountain West. And <laughs> I'm sure that's a pretty strong recruiting pitch against Oregon State on that trip. So hopefully we get him too. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm just encouraged about their recruiting, you know, and it looks like we've cleared some NIL hurdles to be able to be more competitive in that space, which is nice. So, yeah. Definitely. Yeah, some, some promising developments in terms of recruiting and, and staying competitive with some of these these high-level guys. Yeah, and, like, I don't, I don't want to get, like, too into recruiting. Like, I don't want to go over, like, every, you know, deep flip and deep – like, I mean, it's – but when it's four-star guys, a guy out of Seattle who, like, you're coming in late in the process, too. That's the other thing. Like, we haven't been talking about this guy this whole year, you know. It's they're coming late in the process and it looks like they're going to get him. You know, it's it's a good sign. So we'll see if, you know, maybe they'll add another four star in there, too. So. All right. Well, uh, speaking of good signs, AS, the other ASU sports that we talk about on this show have been doing well. Obviously, let's start with uh, Sun Devil Volleyball, who, again, like J.J. Van Neal has been incredible this year. I mean, just a complete turnaround. Because they were bad last year. They are heading to the Sweet 16 of volleyball after beating Georgia and BYU, both in Provo, over uh, this most recent weekend. They won each each match 3-0. And now they're playing number one seed Stanford. Who, wow. yeah, who they've beaten before too, by the way. Now they beat them, they beat them in mullet. But, I mean, it's just, it's, you know... Again, we're only talking about volleyball yeah, they, like a little bit, they, but like it's still they beat super. Them three to zero, they lost three to zero. So yeah. Oh, oh, okay. You got that pulled up. Like I, my volleyball. Yeah, looks like one win over them and one loss over them. So this is the this is the right. rubber match, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, you're playing at Stanford, but it's gonna be on ESPNU too on a. Thursday night. I'm like, I'll have to check that out. Uh, you're playing at Stanford, but like the fact that you've beat them already, you know, you're Is going in with the Yeah, I don't know what it's officially called for volleyball, but it's it's the same. I looked up the bracket, and it's the same type of bracket. There's 16 teams left, so. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, wow. So that's that's impressive and. You know, getting to the Sweet 16 is a good step already, like no matter what happens. But the fact that you, you can go into this game against or this match against Stanford and be like, hey, we actually beat these women before. Uh, beat them in a volleyball match, of course. <laughs> that didn't come out well. <laughs> we actually beat these we we defeated <laughs> we have defeated Stanford previously this season, so we can do it again. Uh, there you go. That is encouraging for ASU volleyball, and um, you know they have a chance. They're twenty eight and six. Let's make it twenty nine and six. Uh, ASU go. hockey. Uh, <laughs> like that save it. of mine. You got through it. Let's beat these women. 
Because I was going to say, like, let's beat these guys. And I'm like, oh, well, it's not men playing. So like, let's beat well, these yeah, you were You were trying to be progressive and then just completely. Did not them. work out at all. Yeah. Uh, ASU men's hockey remains number 12 in the USCHO rankings. Over the weekend, they, uh, they won the second game at Colorado College. And apparently they tied the first game. Uh I looked it up, and apparently, like in college hockey, like for non-con, because ASU is technically not in a conference this year. For non-conference games that end in ties, it just stays as a tie. They don't go to overtime. So a tie and a win is better than a win and a loss, I guess. And uh, they remain number twelve in the poll. Apparently, they're playing Dartmouth this upcoming weekend. So you know, just staying steady, ASU men's hockey. Like it's it's good to see. Like they're not like dropping these dumb games you know when they've shown how good they can be like it's it's not like a asu men's basketball season of like years past where they beat kansas and then they lose to some other like small team that you don't even know about uh they're kind of just taking care of business and you know it's good to see and i mean yeah like i i as the season goes along i mean i've mentioned this on the show a bunch of times that i need to get to a game uh got some good players and you know, like, especially for, you know, novice hockey fans like us, like it's, it's fun to watch a hockey game then six, five, as opposed to one that's, you know, two, one, <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, uh, and that's, that's what I love about the ASU hockey games is like, it's quick, uh, you know, and it's just a good product and this is the best team they've had. Right. And it's, it's interesting to see what they will do because it's, they're not, they're kind of just, even after like a not, 100 percent awesome weekend they're still they remain in the same spot in the poll so it's yeah. good to see yeah i agree with you mark on that note i unfortunately have to to get off gotta head out okay yeah, I do, but it, was a, it was a pleasure right. joining you let me ask you one quick question about asu men's basketball How, right. like last two games obviously not kind of on the same token as the hockey uh beat san jose san, sam houston state uh, by 15-ish, beat San Francisco by 10-ish. Let me pull up the scores. Right. What are your just very surface-level thoughts on those games? Exercising the demons, man. Beating San Francisco after last year, that, that's kind of a mental hurdle, you know? That's, that's the team that uh, made you sweat on – one of the teams that made you uh, sweat on Selection Sunday, right? So – yeah, uh, exercising that demon is is good, and they're stringing together wins. You know, we we saw them be blown out by by BYU, and obviously they've been blown out by Mississippi State. Mississippi State, right? Um, so just two good teams, games. winning basketball games. That's all you have to do. It doesn't matter who you're playing. They're not bad teams. San Francisco is not a bad team. Sam Houston State's not a bad team relative to where they play. So just you know, you can only play who's on your schedule, right? So right. winning those games and, and hopefully once we get into to conference play, maybe stealing some games um, in that portion of your schedule will be huge. But, I mean, you got to take care of the non-con first, and that's what they're doing. So, Absolutely. Didn't see one second of the San Francisco game, but I was just checking the score at, at yesterday at uh, Andrew's house and – it was just they were up by 10 points the whole time. They just had them at a 10-point lead, and that is so encouraging. That's it wasn't good. some – let them back in, right? That, that's something yeah. they always struggle with is letting teams yeah. back in. So. 
And then I was at the Sam Houston game. ASU didn't even play a great game. They still won by 15. So good stuff. Uh, five and two host SMU on Wednesday. Um, and yeah, so ASU sports, fairly positive episode, actually, you know, with everything going on in the football team after a three and nine season. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, thanks for tuning in. Uh, kind of jammed a lot of things in this 50 minute episode or so. Uh, Colton, thanks for joining me today. I know you had a tight schedule. Um, yeah. Happy, yeah. To, happy to hop on. All right. Well, uh, <laughs> with that, um, I was going to make a joke. <laughs> well, maybe maybe <laughs> I'm not going to say, but <laughs> uh, <laughs> with that, uh, thank you for listening. And as always, go Devils.